Today we are uh, we're continuing our, our July teaching series that we started in July, and it's been an incredible uh, teaching series in July. It's, it's been, uh, there's been continuity through it all, and the title of our series is Our Pastor is Gone. Um, so it's been a great series. Uh, <laughs> our pastor is away uh, for a study break in where he, was seek- he is seeking the Holy Spirit, as he does each year, for direction, inspiration, and um, we appreciate that fact. And um, I know for, for some of you in this place, that's been difficult for you because you are used to walking into, in, in here, sitting down and seeing our pastor, Rick, up here, seeing his face. And it, it, it's a little bit of uncomfortableness when others are up here, right? And, and um, so it brings a little bit of anxiety, maybe, and you just need to see him at times. And so I hope this will help you out. I, I've, I've provided this for you. So he's here. He's here. So relax. It's, it's okay. <laughs> Turn in your Bibles, if you would, if you have them, to Mark chapter 11. Verse 15 through 17, I know the passage will be on the screen eventually, but uh, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open it and see it for yourself. If you grabbed a Bible from the back, I believe that's on page 608 from memory. Uh, If that takes you to Leviticus, I'm sorry, Uh, but I think it's page 608. Um, Several years ago, there were missionaries who were in a very remote area of East Asia. And they were showing a film, the Jesus film, on the life of Christ. It's taken from the book of Luke, pretty much straight from the book of Luke, acted out. Some of you have seen that. Um, and they, were, uh, they had their, their projector, their generator. They had poles they put together and, and built a screen. And in the process of setting all that up, it... it attracted all this attention. All these people came and began, began with children, interested children, and then their parents came. And the field was full of people that were sitting on the ground, and the movie started, and the people were just engulfed in, in this movie. First of all, many had never heard about Jesus. And, and more than that, many had never seen a film before. So this was an incredible event in their life. And so they began to show the movie. They showed the birth of Christ and, and uh, later on his baptism, disciples and miracles and all of that. And the people just sat so quietly and then just intently watching Jesus on the screen. And, uh, and then the part came where they took Jesus into custody and, and they arrested him and they began to beat him. And when they began to beat him, something happened in the crowd. The people started standing up. They started screaming, no, no. And they started, they started getting angry about it. And, and the missionaries were like, no, 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 sit down, sit down. Just wait, just wait. So they sat down. They kept watching. They kept watching. And then they took Jesus and they put him on the cross. And they began to nail his hands and his feet. And the crowd, it went, they went crazy. They jumped up, no, no. And they began to rush the person running the projector like it was his fault. And they, they, they were eventually able to calm them down. They sat back down. And then Jesus was on the cross. And he said, it is finished. And he died. And you could hear in the crowd the weeping, the crying, 
and the sounds, the wailing. And then they showed the stone rolled away. The resurrection of Christ. And when that happened on the, on the screen, everyone in the, in the whole crowd, everyone sitting on, in that field stood up and they began to scream and dance and shout and celebrate. And they were worshiping God. They were responding to what they were seeing on that screen. That was worship. I've been in many worship services, as many of you have, in all different places. I've been in other countries, in, in Africa, in Mexico. I've, of course, we lived in Haiti and was there in many worship services. I've been you know, in, in the United States, different places, different worship. It doesn't matter where you go. I've found one thing to almost always be true in churches in worship. We struggle to truly worship God. We struggle to truly worship God. And you might, you might say, well, I don't, I don't understand because I'm here each week. I, I walk into this place. I make the effort to be here. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm here. And what I'm saying to you today is attendance is not worship. That's not what I'm, I'm talking about. Worship can be easily confused because we have a worship center that we gather in. And so it, it makes our mind thinks that, think that worship is a place we have a worship service, and although the, the band always just does an incredible job of bringing us to the, to the throne of grace for worship, um, worship isn't a place, it's not a time, and it's not a song necessarily. So what is it? What, how do you define worship? Well, I'd point back to that Jesus film showing and how people were responding to that. Warren Wiersbe, a theologian, uh, author, and one who, who studies and has commentaries on the Bible, he, he uh, writes this definition of worship, and I love it. He says, worship is the believer's response of all that they are to what God is and says and does. And I love that, the believer's response so what he's saying is that if you walk into this building, no matter what happens, if you don't respond to Jesus in some way, you are not worshiping God. The believer's response, that, that involves our emotions, our goals, our desires, our time, our energy, our focus, our sacrifices, all of that. That's what those men and women and children in East Asia were doing. They were responding to Jesus. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that you have to jump up and down and shout to have worship. If that were true, we'd have to change the name of our church, right? Or the affiliation. It's not about that. It's about our response from our heart. And that's what I want us to talk about today. How do we truly worship God. On Sunday morning, when we all file into this room and the music starts and the band plays and we have time of prayer and, and we bow our heads and our lips are moving as we sing, um, if you and I are not responding to God, focusing, praying, listening, learning, growing, giving, letting God work in our lives, we're not worshiping according to Warren Wiersbe, but I say, more importantly, 
according to Jesus. And so let's take a look at Mark 11. Now let me preface this before I read it, before we look at it. This is, um, the event is a celebration uh, time. And so let me, let me I, I don't have a whole lot of time to give the full backstory, but you can read it. But what's about to happen in this story, what's happening is that there is a celebration, a holiday, a Jewish holiday celebration that dates back way into the Old Testament when the Israelites were leaving Egypt or trying to leave Egypt. And um, this celebration was called the Passover celebration. It was hugely important. And so people, Jewish people from all over the countryside would come to the temple in Jerusalem at this time for, for worship. And it was important. They would, they would come in, and when they came, they would pay a temple tax, uh, and they would bring an offering, a dove, an animal, as an offering to the Lord. And that was the custom of the time. And now we enter the story. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, and they're talking about Jesus and the disciples, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. And he said to them, The scriptures declare, My temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. You see, what's happening here is there's been some changes that happen. The normal process of, of the, the Jewish people coming and paying a temple tax and offering uh, their, their animal for an offering, uh, people began to take advantage of that. And so the Jewish people coming from the countryside, they had a currency of their own where they lived. They would bring it to the temple, and they had to pay a temple tax with the temple currency, and so they would exchange it. No big deal. That was a courtesy that was given to them. And the same thing with the animal. Instead of the process of trying to get the animal and bring it all the way with you and and all that, they would sell animals there at the temple entrance. But what what happened was the people that were selling, the people that were converting the money began to see dollar signs. And so instead of uh, giving a dollar and getting a dollar, you would give a dollar and get a quarter or a dime. Or if you were uh, uh, needing an animal, instead of the going rate for a dove, they would charge you double or triple. And so it it began to be this money-making deal. And that's what Jesus was addressing at this time. But the scripture says that he drove them out. He drove them out. He kicked them out of church, basically. In this image, he kicked them out of church. And I I have a hard time thinking about Jesus in that way. I don't know about you. But I think about Jesus as accepting and loving and accepting everyone. But here's a moment of righteous anger where Jesus says, go, not come. That's odd for us. We have a church sign. You know, it says, come just as you are. Come as you are. Everyone is welcome, right? That is what we think here, and most churches do. It doesn't matter for us who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how you've messed up in life. It doesn't matter, you know, your, your clothes don't matter as long as you're wearing some. I mean, that's important. has to be appropriate. But it doesn't matter. But here's a time where all that mattered. Because Jesus 
was ushering people away. And I believe that, that Jesus was, the, the idea of, of robs, robber, robbery and thievery that, that is the emphasis of the verse is just part of what's going on here. I believe that Jesus is seeing more than that. He's seeing the, the worship aspect in all this. And people were stealing and, and, and robbing people of money, but they were stealing the worship of the people. You ever think about that? that? That's why Jesus was so upset. It was at the temple. You see, in, in this passage we're looking at, it, this event actually happens two times in Scripture. We read one of them. It, it's actually told in all the Gospels, but it, it happens two times, two separate times, once near the beginning of Christ's ministry and once, as we read, near the end of Christ's ministry. Isn't that ironic that bookends to Christ's life have to do with worship and the temple and the importance of it? And so I want us to think about these money changers. How did they, how did they steal worship? Because that's a twist on it. So let's think about that. How did they steal worship? The first thing is they were focused on themselves. They were focused on themselves. They went to the temple motivated by selfishness, by greed. They didn't care how they affected the people that were showing up. It was all about them. They were delaying worship because they were, they were keeping people from going straight in. They were haggling over prices and that sort of thing. And, and so it was delaying worship. They were distracting worship because people were coming in expecting to, to get a dollar for a dollar and they were being taken advantage of. And so all that was on the, the mind of those who were coming to worship and they carried that into the temple. And they, were den and they denied the priority of worship. These, these people had walked miles, had sacrificed, and they were coming to worship God. And it wasn't a priority to the money changers. It didn't matter to them. It wasn't a big deal. The only thing that was important was them and what they could make and what they could do. It was all about them. They were stealing worship in that way. Another way is they ignored the sin in their lives. They were taking advantage of people financially. They were stealing. This is the way Scripture reads. And it didn't matter to them that every person that came up they would make more money. They would steal again. They would rob again, again, again. didn't matter. They didn't deal with the sin. They dealt with the money. They ignored the sin. Another way is they chose to make worship just horizontal and not vertical. To them, it was all about the people, right? The people that showed up were the ones that they were looking forward to. These are the people that, that they got money from, that they made a living from, they took advantage from. All of their energy, all of their conversations, all their preparations for the temple was only for the people. It had nothing to do with vertical worship of God himself. Another way is that worship was not a priority to these people. Worship wasn't a priority. Their, their lives were surrounded by people who traveled for days and miles and sacrificed all of that. But for these money changers, there was no effort 
to worship. There was no love for worship. There was no desire or or devotion or sacrifice at all. And they limited worship. They limited worship. They were there for themselves. And although they were Jewish, they were there for themselves. And when all was said and done and all the money was to be made and they boxed everything up and they took their money and put it in their pockets, then they might go in and worship and catch the end of the show. And it was limiting. They got the end of everything. It wasn't the focus. So what did Jesus do? He stepped in. He cleansed the temple. He had that righteous anger about how people were worshiping at the temple. And back then it was the temple. That was the focus of the worship. But today it's different. Something changed with the life of Christ. His life. His perfect life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, it all changed. In John chapter 4, Jesus met this woman at the well, this Samaritan woman. There's a question that that she asks him. She says, why do Jews worship on this one mountain and Samaritans worship on this other mountain? And so she was focusing on a place, thinking of temples. And Jesus changed all that. He said to her, soon you will not worship God just in a place, but in spirit and in truth. And then we read in 1 Corinthians the powerful statement, do you not know that you, you, you are God's temple? Everything changed. You are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. And that changed everything about worship. Because we no longer have to go to a place for worship. You are a walking church building. You are the temple. And so now we're dealing with not a building. We're not dealing with money changers. We're dealing with our heart. Can we rob and still worship that God desires to see in our lives? Are we doing that? Is that possible? I say to you, it happens every week, all the time, in churches all over the world. Because we can focus on ourselves. We can ignore sin, just like the money changers. We can focus on just the people and not God himself. We can ignore the priority of worship, and we can limit the worship in our lives. And so... Today, just as Jesus stepped in and he cleansed the temple, I want to challenge you this morning that you would be willing to let Jesus step into your heart and clean the temple that is you in ways that you might need in the area of worship. And so how do we do that? How do we let Jesus cleanse or clean the temple in us? The first thing is is this, we need to consider others. We need to consider others. We walk in these doors each week, we sit down, and it's so hard not to focus on ourselves. It really is. It's a struggle. We may not be willing to admit it, but it is a struggle to not focus on ourselves. Our desires, our preferences, our ways of doing things, our needs. I hear people say things like, I don't like that song. I'm not going to sing that song. 
Why won't they sing my, my favorite song? They never sing my favorite song. Or that's not, not how I would do things. Or someone sitting in the area where I always sit. We start thinking about ourselves. It's so easy to do because we're, we're sinful. We're selfish people. The Bible tells us in Philippians so powerfully, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take interest in others too. More, challenge, more challenging though is 2 Timothy when it reminds us, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. You know how terrible? People will be lovers of themselves. And it goes on to say, having a form of godliness. Having a form. The Bible commands us that we are to serve one another, accept one another, forgive one another, greet one another, bear with one another's burdens, be devoted to one another, honor one another, teach one another, submit to one another, encourage one another, pray for one another. You are part of this service when you walk in here. Just because you're not on the stage doesn't mean you're not supposed to participate in the others around you. As Dana shared in his message last week, we should have the eyes of Christ as we see other people. And I challenge you. When was the last time you walked into this building and sat down and looked around and saw someone, maybe someone you know, someone you don't know, and you just prayed for them? And you don't know what's going on in their life, but God does. Consider others. That's worship. That's worship. The second way to let Jesus cleanse our lives is to learn to deal with the sin in our life. To learn to deal with the sin. The Bible reminds us if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. You know, you've probably had this happen to you because I've had it happen to me where you, uh, on a, any given day, you're going through your day and, and you're, you go off and you have lunch and, and you come back from lunch and you finish your day, right? And you're, you're having your meetings, you're inter- interacting with people. You go home and when you get home, the first you see your spouse or someone in the house, the first thing they say to you is, oh, you've got something in your teeth right there in the front, like lettuce or ooh. And you think, why didn't somebody tell me about this all day long? And you start thinking about all the different people you talk to. It's so obvious, right? But sin's not that way. We can walk into this building with a smile on our face and sin in our heart. And nobody knows it. And I tell you, it it doesn't just affect you. It affects all of us. Because we're all part of of the body of Christ. The Bible says in 1 John, but if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that is supposed to happen in our lives daily, moment by moment. We're not coming to church to confess our sins. That's not the religion that we are where we have to sit with someone to confess our sins. We can approach the throne of grace freely and boldly. And that should be happening in our lives. Confession should be happening 
all the time. Your sin and my sin as we walk into this place, it affects how we respond to God. It affects how we respond to others. It, it, it affects how we serve. It, um, it affects how we witness to people. We don't think that. We think it's hidden and nobody knows. But it does. It affects all of us. And for those, those uh, that were at the temple that day making money, they didn't care about the sin in our lives. But God's Word commands us to deal with it. The third thing is this, that as we think about God, Jesus cleaning up our heart and our temple, uh, is to emphasize vertical fellowship. Vertical fellowship. I know that as we walk into this place, uh, we love seeing our friends. There's nothing wrong with that. There's such a closeness and a bond with people in here. I mean, some people in here have relationships where your friends have been lifesavers in your life. And that's understandable. But that can't be the only thing that happens in this place. As Jesus was walking, in Matthew it says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. And what Jesus said, he said many times in the New Testament, he said, follow me. Follow me. And as we walk into this place, I know that we have friends and we love to visit, but we've got to consider how Jesus is saying to each of us, follow me. How will you follow me better today, differently today? Remember that that definition. It's the believer's response. Believer's response. And so during the service, you should be asking, as God's word is open, as, as the words on the screen from even the, the songs uh, are, are there, you should be asking, Lord, what are you saying to me today? What is the message to me today? And, and what should I do now? I've heard people say, I've heard him say, um, well, this message isn't for me, it's for someone else over here. And I I think I've even said that at times. I don't believe that now. I believe that every time God's word is opened and there is a biblical message, that there is a message for each and every one of us in this place. That might be a different message, but there's a message. God is speaking to you and asking you to respond to him. That's important that we focus and make sure that we are connected with God before we leave this place. And as we leave this place, we should have conversations. We should be asking those now what questions. What are we going to do with what we've seen and heard in our, in our own minds and in our hearts, within our families as we're traveling home? What are you going to do? What, what was God saying? How are you going to respond to that? Those are questions that are important because they help us to make sure we leave this place and having fully worship God. How else to let Jesus clean the temple that is you is to allow worship to be a priority in your life. In Mark 12, we read, And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength doesn't say anything about attendance. 
It doesn't say anything about sitting in a chair on Sunday morning. It says to love him with everything that is you. Everything. You know, in parts of this world, and you've heard of, and many of you have heard, in parts of this world, it is very dangerous to be a Christian. And there is this underground church movement in parts of the world, and there are pastors and leaders in places that we can't talk about without endangering lives. And these people are, are getting up in the middle of the night to travel miles and miles and miles to gather in a secret place to worship God, knowing that as they take the next step, that next step that could be the step where someone catches them, arrests them, beats them, tortures them, kills them for their faith. And worship to them is a priority every day of their lives. It's not to them, it's not something that you just, you're supposed to do on Sundays. It's not something that makes you feel better to start your week. It's not something just to put up with, to sit through. It is life to them. It is rest for their souls. Is that what worship is for you? When you come to this place, when we gather together, is it rest for your soul? Do you long to be here? And the last is this, that we need to nurture 24-7 worship in our life. Romans 12 reminds us of this. It says, And dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies, everything that is you, your bodies to God because of all He's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. You see, worship is not this place only. I love the way that the message version of the Bible uh, reads in this passage. This is the same passage, but here's how it says it. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, your walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for Him. Your everyday, ordinary life is worship. I mean, there really should be a sign right out the door there that says, Entering Worship now because the bible talks about worship in a way that includes all of our lives we're to give him everything our work our family our free time everything is worship how we respond to people it's all worship it's not a day of the week it's not a moment in time every word we say every decision we make every conversation it's all worship. That's why Jesus came to come into our lives and allow us to follow Him, the temple that is inside of us. And so, for you, I challenge you will you let Jesus speak to your heart and clean the temple that is you? And maybe for you, it's considering others. 
Maybe for you it's learning to deal with the sin constantly, not waiting to deal with it. Maybe it's emphasizing that vertical connection that has to happen when we gather or allowing worship to be the priority of your life or nurturing 24-7 worship and realizing that when you walk out this place, worship is just as important as what's been going on in here. Several years ago, there was a, a terrible accident that happened in in uh, a remote area of the state of West Virginia. There was a coal mine there called the Sago Coal Mine. And there, one day there was an explosion that happened in this coal mine, and there were miners trapped deep within the mine. There were 13 miners trapped. And so once the coal mine discovered what had happened, and word got around, and the rescue team came. They tried to, to reach these men. They, for a long time, they couldn't even get into the, the mine because the, the gases were coming out. There could be an explosion at any point. But finally, they could get in, and they began to travel down the mine. And during that time, all the family members of those 13 men gathered in a little church nearby to fall on their knees and to pray, to ask God, for safety for their, their fathers and their husbands and their relatives. And so those rescuers went down further and further. They got about halfway down to where they thought these men were, and they found one man, and he was gone. He, he's, he was dead. And so they radioed back up that they had found one, and he was dead. And that communication went out. And they traveled deeper and deeper and deeper, and finally, they reached the other 12. And when they, they, they were, they, the men had put up this covering to, to keep the air out. And when they peeled that back and got in, the radio crackled at the top above the ground. And it said, we found them. We found them. They're all alive. And that message was passed on and passed on to the church. And what a celebration was happening. People were praising God for their safety and on their knees, and they begin this worship service where they begin to sing together. And, and the, you could hear outside the church the songs being sung. But it wasn't too long after that that the, the, the president of the mining company and several officers showed up at the church. And they called the people together and they got up front of the church and they said, there's been a terrible mistake. That somehow the communication was wrong. And there was one man that we found that was just, he's still hanging on for life. But the 11 others, they're dead. They were found dead. The communication was critical. It was so critical in that situation. And how we communicate worship is critical in the life of a believer. But it's also more critical to the life of those who are lost and dying. And so I ask you this morning, how have you been communicating worship with your life? Have you been communicating? Has it been communicated in a wrong way that's caused confusion? It's so important what we communicate. Maybe for you, you've been coming to, here to church for some time and, and um, 
you enjoy the service, but, and you're a believer even, maybe you're a follower of Christ, but maybe you feel like something's just not quite right, it just, it just doesn't feel right, that you're missing out on something, and maybe it's this area of worship and realizing the temple of your life. And I ask you would, you, would you let God do a work in your life this morning? Would you let him clean up the temple that is you when it comes to this idea of worship? And if you're willing to do that, maybe your prayer would begin as Psalm 139 reads, Search me, O God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any offensive way in me. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you because you first loved us. And we truly can't wrap our minds around the love that is you. It's so hard for us to understand that perfect love. But we thank you for it. And as we sit in this place, as we gather together in this place that we call the worship center for worship, and that is correct, Lord, we long to to completely worship you with everything we are. And if that's been a struggle for us, God, we pray that you would, your Holy Spirit would work in our lives on this day and call us to repentance in the ways that we need to change. Lord, we give you the freedom to clean us, to point to an area of our life and move us for change. Lord, we thank you that you don't leave us as we are. You love us as we are, but you love us so much you don't want to leave us that way. You want us to change. And so we pray that you'll do that this morning. Change us. Oh God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.